Are you ready to take the lead in the dance of life? Fall in love with who you are right now and find uninhibited joy every day? Then it's time for you to flaunt your smart, sexy, and spiritual self. Join radio host Laura Cheadle and learn how the five steps of flaunt can help you quit seeking approval, proving your worth, and release you from the judgment of others. Express all that you are, discover your naked self-worth, and finally, enjoy the life you've worked so hard to create. Hello, welcome to Flaunt, Build Your Dreams and Live Your Sparkle. Today's show is going to be so much about sparkle. If you are feeling like you're sparkle, like your creative energy and your just excited creative juices have been a little bit uh, stopped up, this is the show for you. Today's guest is Diana Rowan, and she is a creative alchemist and founder of the Bright Way Guild, which is an academy dedicated to activating the creative within each of us. You know me, you know, I love the classics. And one of the things she asks is the classical inquiry of what makes a life good. Oh yeah, <laughs> we have all been down that path a time or two. And that is really the question that drove her from her youngest years through stage fright and other challenges to be who she is today, to do the work that she does, to be the musician that she is, to be the author that she is. Today is all about sparkle. It's all about creativity and it's all about finding that passion and that joy within you. So with that, welcome to the show, Diana. Thank you, Laura. It's so wonderful that you're here. Start a little bit. You've got such an interesting background. Tell, can you tell me a little bit more about growing up and just your whole background? Because it's very unique. Yeah, I was born in Dublin, Ireland, and my parents were college students at the time, and I was the only kid around. And uh, my parents were so young, they actually didn't realize they needed to kind of train me to call me mommy and call them mommy and daddy. So I actually have always called them Phyllis and John. And the other five children who came, they all ended up doing the same thing too. <laughs> you know what I love about that? My parents were young when they had me and I call them Lynn and Ken. <laughs> really? Oh my goodness. I've hardly ever met anybody else who does that. And most people are so shocked, right? When they hear that. <laughs> Yes, they're like, are they your adoptive parents? I'm like, right. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just always been the way. And they're great friends now, you know. In many ways, they were like uh, like big brothers and sisters to me, really, because <laughs> they were so young. So, you know, we were surrounded, um, you know, by all these, it was in the 70s, you know, we were surrounded by all these intellectuals and all these seekers and inquirers. And there was just all this great energy that, you can learn and you can do. There was always an attitude of kind of iconoclasm, of just doing your own thing. And then when I was five years old, my dad uh, became a diplomat for the Irish government and he got posted abroad. We went to Washington DC for the first time uh, for the first post. And 
Wow, you know, that was just such a big jump from Dublin, Ireland to Washington, D.C., and that was kind of the big embassy. And so when I was a kid, you know, we got invited to parties at the White House, and I got to meet Big Bird, which was the most starstruck I'd ever been in my entire life, and still still is. Yes. Uh, yeah, you know, so we ended up living all over the world, and amongst the countries that really influenced me the most were Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, which is this, you know, where Aphrodite was born according yeah. to legend and it's a cultural crossroads many many cultures have been there are there and another place is bulgaria that's another huge influence on me and that's another cultural crossroads so i really enjoy these crossroads type places and i ended up living in berkeley california which is another the bay area is very much a crossroads as well so i yeah. like these places that are intersections of creativity, of technology, of old school learning, new school learning, everything. I, I, I can appreciate the intersections and that crossroad concept. Um, for the listeners of my show, you know, my book is Flaunt, Drop Your Cover and Reveal Your Smart, Sexy and Spiritual Self. And that's something that people oftentimes don't believe. You can't be intellectual and creative. You can't be smart and sexy. You can't be this and that. And you are living proof that yes, you can, because you were around that intellectual seeking, let's call it. But you're also a musician. And wasn't your mom also an astrologer? Yeah, she still is. Yeah. Yeah, an astrologer and uh, my dad, besides being a diplomat, he loves to sing, he loves to tell stories. So yeah, there was always this crossover. And I think because I lived in so many different cultures, I would see that in one culture, something was considered the norm. And in another culture, something else was considered the norm. And so I began to question, you know, well, what is really the norm? They're actually is, isn't one, you know, no. there are a few essentials in life. Like I do believe we need to feel connection. Connection is such a crucial thing. And that is totally cross-cultural. Uh, yeah, we want to feel we belong and we have true relationships and that there's meaning to life. Beyond that, <laughs> you know, there are really many, many permutations that you can, you can feel resonate with you and follow through on those things. Meaning in life is so crucial. And it's interesting because oftentimes we just hear it almost as a trite, flippant thing. Oh, you need meaning in your life. Well, of course, f find your meaning, you know, pursue your passion. I feel when you say it that you are speaking of meaning at almost a deeper, soulful level. And being a dancer, and having a music comp major for a son. <laughs> I've had a lot of music in my life and, and I feel like there's something in music that transcends the physical, transcends the intellectual and goes into that deep place of emotion and meaning. And I'm just curious your feelings around music and meaning. Yeah, well, you know, when I was eight years old, I took up piano seriously. I had been playing around on a piano and my parents noticed because my mom also plays piano. And uh, they gave me lessons at eight and right away it became clear that I would be a professional musician. That's what I wanted to do. I loved it. I felt so great when I was practicing and it was just a joy for me. 
But the more I realized, oh, I'm going to be a professional musician, the more I became really self-conscious. And I began to feel like, how do I measure up against other children, against adults? Will I have what it takes? It all became very external. And I actually lost touch with why I was making music. I didn't realize I'd lost touch with it, but it became all about worrying whether I had enough talent, whether I was gifted enough. And I developed the most incredible case of performance anxiety. I mean, at this point, I've worked with thousands of people and I have, I really had one of the very worst cases I've ever seen. You know, I would throw up before performances, even as a child, I would cry for weeks on end beforehand. I had so many torturous feelings about it. It was so, so, so extreme. Long story short, I gave up music. I went into college as a music major, but I realized, you know, I'm going to have a very short life with this degree of stress. I cannot handle this anymore. But I missed it so much that I eventually clawed my way back. And in clawing my way back, I came upon the system that I now call the Brightway system, the system that I use for tapping into your creativity. And the absolute fundamental to that is knowing what your purpose is. Your purpose is why you're doing the thing. And the purpose for me with music, just like with everybody else, goes back to your earliest memories. And in your earliest memories, your purpose is embedded. You don't realize at the time because you're a child. When I remember my earliest memories of playing music, I felt like I was really myself. I felt like I was in touch with a world that was absolutely true. And I knew it was true for sure. I had absolutely no question about it. And it felt like this golden world, this timeless world. Now that I'm an adult, I know that what I was doing was tapping into my true self. Yes. You know, what people call their higher self or their soul or, you know, their their best self, you know, whatever belief you have around that, I think we can all agree there is a part of us that goes beyond ego, that is a beautiful essence of who we are. And once I reclaim that purpose, I play music in order to come back to my true self, performance anxiety ratcheted down, like just like, <laughs> it became such a an irrelevant thing in my life. So yeah, I absolutely believe in purpose behind mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. Purpose and creativity. Yes. There are similarities, yet there are differences. And it's my guess that some people might be listening to the show and being like, Diana, you're, you're a talented musician. You know, Laura, dance is your thing. I don't have a creative bone in my body. Are you telling me I don't have a purpose? What's the relationship between purpose and creativity? I believe everybody is creative. Creativity is whenever you directly engage with something, because as soon as you directly engage, you affect that thing. You change that thing forever. And therefore, that's a creative act. You can be creative writing an email. You can be creative running a business, for sure. That's a hugely creative act, actually, <laughs> with a thousand million moving parts. Uh, you can be creative in how you raise your children. I mean, raising children is an inherently creative act. Some people think it's the ultimate creative thing to do is to create another person. <laughs> right. right? Uh, you can be creative in your garden, in your kitchen, in your um, conversation. I mean, right now we're being creative. We're creating something right now. And 
So because we are naturally creative, whenever we engage, it gives us a great sense of fulfillment. We feel mm -hmm. like we actually exist because we are creating something and that gives meaning to our lives. So while purpose is kind of our message in life, our creativity is how we express that message and how we experience that message in the world. Yes. How you express that message. I think that is so important because oftentimes people will have these ideas in their heads and these feelings in their hearts, and then they go to work and their work isn't their purpose. So they sort of shut down and ignore all of that and never allow themselves the opportunity to have it come out. So this bright way process, does this allow people to do both? Do all of the things that they need to do during the day, as well as give them that space to express fully who they are inside? Absolutely. When I was writing the book, I really kept in mind my sister, one of my sisters who has four children. She's a full-time pediatric intensive care nurse. And she loves to also stay fit. <laughs> so numerous, numerous irons in the fire. And I wanted, and I actually quote her in the book. <laughs> I wanted my book to apply to that woman, to, to that guy who is running a business and feels so much pressure to support their family and they feel like all their creativity has been tamped down there's not enough space for it or time for it i wanted my book to reach that person so because actually that's the reality of most people a very few people are actually having endless time to engage in you know their very very most favorite activities and their clearest ways of expressing their creativity so we have to get creative about that we have to get creative yes. about our creativity and by tapping into your purpose which already exists from when you were a child you can tap into it immediately and discover what that is. And you can find ways to express that even in your job. And I found that people who have been using this system to tap into their purpose on the job, for instance, one of my friends who's a computer programmer, he began using it for that. They begin getting much more job satisfaction. They also perform better at their job as a result. And then on top of that, they find they have more energy at the end of the day, also at the beginning of the day. So for those moments where they actually aren't at work, they are more available for all the other things they want to do. So you can absolutely use the Bright Way system in your regular life immediately. It does not mean that you have to suddenly throw everything aside and, you know, try to become a minimalist so that you can, you know, spend more time on your thing. No, you can, you can use your creativity right now in whatever you're already doing, number one. And from there, you know, huge energy expands. So you get all sorts of things opening up to you. But the other part also is I know people don't have a lot of time to sit down and read a lot. So I wanted every single page to count. So every single page, even if you read one page, you'll get something out of it. I wanted to make it super actionable. You know, I've been a teacher um, for almost 30 years at this point. And so I know that having small wins is crucial, crucial. So every page, I wanted people to have something that they could take away with. 
small wins are so important. And when you were talking about the increased energy and the increased satisfaction, I can really appreciate that because life is so busy and you are absolutely spot on that everybody out there is struggling in some form, whether it's career or personal, you know, a personal issue, everybody's struggling. And yes, sometimes just that small win of the way that I ground the salt on my salad was perfect. Sometimes that is enough to change the tone of the entire day. So tell us more about this book and this process in terms of those small wins. It's a process, but we all need to go within and start tapping into that creativity. So then what can readers expect by the time they're done with this book, what is the shifts that they can look forward to in their life? Well, the final step is step five, fulfillment. And that is where you get to celebrate your successes. And that is what they can absolutely look forward to. It's an actual step. And believe it or not, it's the one I get the most resistance on. You'd think that people would be so excited to celebrate their fulfillments, but people don't. What people generally do, and I bet you found this as well, is they achieve something and right away it's on to the next goal. They don't actually spend any time celebrating their successes, their wins, feeling proud of themselves. And because they don't, they don't realize what they've done. They don't really absorb it and take it in. When you take in your successes and you own them, you feel fulfilled and you feel self-esteem. A lot of people have what's called imposter syndrome. They think their successes happened to them by mistake or that they were kind of random or they're kind of pulling the wool over people's eyes and people think they're that successful, but they're not really. Right, all those feelings. And those feelings lead to incredible lack of confidence, but also burnout, so that your energy starts diminishing. So in practicing fulfillment, which is writing down your wins, writing down your wins for your success, um, as you define it, so this is a critical thing, uh, the wins don't have to look impressive to anybody else. Maybe they wouldn't even be that remarkable to somebody else. Uh, maybe they were, I went ahead and I made that call, or I went ahead and did that Facebook post, or I went ahead and reached out to this particular teacher that I've wanted to work with for a long time. Whatever it is, it can be big, it can be small, but it has to matter to you. That's the most critical thing. Yeah. And as you start writing things down, this is really, really important, what happens is you start remembering more things. You start remembering more things that you've done that you're proud of. And over and over again, as I've walked people through this process, they find all these memories spilling out one after the other. They just can't even believe it. And it happens over and over again. So I've seen it happen many, many times. And the critical thing is to write it down because if we only keep it in our head, we think of a couple things and then immediately we start thinking about something else. Yeah. So this leads to incredible confidence and momentum. And so what that leads to in itself is you revisit your purpose 
which is step one, define your purpose. And you may find that you make a little tweak here or there to your purpose. Um, it's always similar flavor, but oftentimes you've come, you've come to it now with a higher consciousness. And from there, you set new intentions based from this place. So this incredible momentum is what, what they have to look forward to. Oh, I love that. Okay, so the first step, I wanna go through all of the steps. The first step is finding your purpose. That is so important and it is so crucial to understand. And oftentimes when I work with people, I find that they don't exactly know what purpose means. They think it means I need to be a diplomat and (laughs) be stationed in DC and I need to be the president and I need, and they think purpose more in terms of a label or a title or a paycheck instead of that true inner purpose. So I'd like to hear how you define purpose in the work that you do. Yeah, I find people exactly the same. Yeah, they have exactly the same issue. They, they confuse goals with purpose. Your purpose really is something much deeper than that. It's really your message in life and it's what gives meaning to your life. So when I went back and I realized that when I play music, I tap into my true self. And in fact, that's what I want to do with everything in my life. I want to come from that place. When I teach, I want to teach from that place. When I write, I want to write from my true self. I remember when I was in the process of writing the book and my editor would read some parts and she was like, uh, this part's great. That part, I'm not feeling it. And it was always a part she didn't feel when I was writing sort of more from my head rather than from my actual true self, from my purpose, from my heart. So your purpose, you'll find, actually applies to everything in your life. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's like your real message to yourself and to the world. And you came into the world with this purpose. That's why when you go back and do the exercise to, to find your purpose, it's always in your childhood memories. It was already there. I've never seen an exception to this. Yes. So that's what purpose really is and so you know for example my purpose is you know i play music for example to tap into my true self i do anything in order to tap into my true self you know we're yes we're we're talking here so that we can share our true selves my second part is and thereby inspire others to do the same that's what i want to do you know so in my doing that first thereby i hope to um reflect that out so that others are invited to also be their true selves because I'm excited about that kind of world. Um, Your intentions, which is step number two, is set your intentions. Those are how you intend to manifest the purpose in the world. So I manifest this purpose uh, through my music, through my writing, through my teaching, I mean, through all sorts of things. I generally recommend choosing three specific intentions because you know, we need a number to work with. We can't have just yes. like a thousand million things that we're going to focus on. It's Over not- the next 90 years, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I found exactly the same thing, Laura, that people confuse goals and titles. Yes. With, um, with yeah. purpose. And also with intentions. Because when we talk about our intentions, again, I can intend 
on making a hundred million dollars, but I can't control that. I can control the steps that might lead me to a hundred million dollars. And my intention to filter through superfluous time wasting activities. And that's truly my intent. And it's not my goal and it's not my purpose either. It's, it's my intent. It's the way that I go forward. So I appreciate very much how in your steps, you've got to first find that purpose, which is not your goal, and then set three intentions because that gives you the concrete steps to lean forward and to do and not just to be like, I'm going to float around in my true purpose tapped in all day long. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I love what you're saying because we really have to bring these things into the real world, right? We want to manifest these very soulful uh, purposes in the real world. We don't want to keep them just inside because if we do that, we tend to feel unfulfilled. We feel stuck. We feel like I've got all this stuff inside me and I have no way to get it out. I don't know how to get out. In fact, I can barely talk about it to myself in my head. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What is that next step then after setting your intentions to help you bring that out? So the third step, which is create your practicum plan, is very, very practical. It is how do you actually do the thing in the real world? So we've got the purpose, which is your overall message in life. Then we set three intentions about how you intend to manifest it in the world. And when we set intentions, we set them in a very emotional way. So they're very exciting to us. You know, that we feel um, when we remember that intention that we want to follow through on it. So it will tend to not have many facts or figures. It will tend to be something like my intention is to live with freedom. For instance, so I'm thinking about $100 million. What would that actually bring? Right. That would bring a sense of freedom. What else would it bring? It could be bring the ability to impact others in a more meaningful way. Gorgeous. Okay. And so then in the practicum plan, we actually look at your schedule. We look at where are your best energy times. We look at how do you actually learn? A lot of people are unaware of how we actually learn. And as a teacher, you know, um, I see people bite off more than they can chew all the time. And this is partly where the small wins thing comes from as well. Um, It's by these little activities that you can actually have amazing things happen. I remember one time a friend of mine had a roommate and the roommate had a little son who was kind of um, going around in those little wheelie chairs, you know, that he couldn't even walk yet. And the kid was near a door And he was kind of just rocking the door, rocking it. And he wouldn't stop rocking it, but nobody was really paying attention. Suddenly the door fell off because he had slowly, slowly worked it so that it came off its hinges. But just by his whittling away at that, those little activities, this tiny child who could not even walk removed this big Victorian door. So it's these little actions that really, really matter. And that's where step three gets super practical. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I like that also in terms of tying that to your last step, 
and appreciating and feeling that fulfillment. Because I know for me, and I like that you mentioned in teaching that you find people bite off more than they can chew, because I have a tendency to take my to-do list for the day. And for instance, today I'm working on launching a new program. So I will write down complete video scripts, film course, and write sales page. <laughs> yeah. There are three video scripts. There are six emails that go with that. There are probably a good 40 to 60 steps within that. And then it's easy to look at your to-do list at the end of the day and say, what a loser I am. I didn't get anything done. Whereas had I broken it down authentically into those little steps, write script one, write script two, right? <laughs> I would be able to see that I was indeed moving forward. I was making progress and then reconnect to the fulfillment of, yes, I am spreading sparkle. I am spreading the love. I am spreading my purpose. And it would completely change the way I feel about myself and my life going to bed. And all it is, is how I broke it down in the first place. Right, yeah. This is so wonderful. I mean, you are showing momentum when you do that. And so it's not like um, taking the easy way out or yeah. anything like that. It's not, it's not a compromise and it's not letting yourself down. In fact, it's giving yourself far more chance to make the thing actually happen. Absolutely. So then what is that next step? Because I bet our listeners are getting really excited by this. They're like, oh yeah, I can do this. <laughs> yeah. So the next one is integration. Step four is integration. And then it's a close step to five, which is fulfillment. Yay. Okay. So integration is where you get to try everything out. This is where you actually take action on everything. And the critical key with this is when we try things out, we do not use judgment, we use discernment. Discernment says, is this working? It is, great, let's amplify it. Or is this working? It's not. Okay, well, how do we remedy it? We never use judgment like this is good and this is bad. And as humans, we tend to be prone to use judgment a lot. We judge ourselves, oh, I did a bad job. We never use words like that in integration instead it's all about discernment because you are trying things out seeing if they work or seeing if they don't and either way you win because if they're working you get to find out what's working and even amplify that further and if it's not working you get to find ways to remedy that so either way you win yes you do and since this is all about creativity as well that also allows the expansion of the creative forces to hopefully try something new. I, I've got, this is tangential, but it's right on point as well. I've got a really good friend who has been a yoga teacher for 20 years. She has recently created a couple of different new methods of yoga. One of them is aerial yoga. She started this whole aerial yoga thing years ago. At the time, people were saying, you don't do yoga in the air. You can't combine silks and yoga. That doesn't make sense. But it's that creative force of let's try it and see what's working out. And no, it wasn't the one and only thing she had ever tried. She tried several different things and some of them did not work, but aerial yoga, it worked. 
Wow. I, yeah, you're, you're so right. It's during this moment, during integration, that creative breakthroughs happen. So wow. she had a type of breakthrough where she created something completely new. And by the way, yes, so true. There are going to be many things we decide to let go of along the way, but they were essential that we looked at them and that we learned something from them anyway. They were part of the path, even if they didn't become part of our permanent toolbox. You know, the, the sculptor Rodin, he said, nothing is a waste of time as long as we make good use of it. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's one of those things that I, I am encouraging anybody listening to that show to kind of sit with that for a, for a moment. Because in our fast-paced society, it is so easy to just let things go. And yes, I'm a proponent of letting the negative energy go, of letting things go that don't serve us, but it's making meaning of it. It's the relation, your, your five-year marriage that ended in divorce is not a waste. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because in discernment, when we say something isn't working, we literally say, well, why isn't it working? And in that discovery, we get to know ourselves better. We get to review what did work. I mean, there was something in it that did work. Uh, we get to have more information about how we're going to be moving forward in life. We know the lessons that we learned. Um, Wow. I mean, there's just so much richness in there. You know, the idea of mistakes and failure are so toxic, the way that we uh, see them as basically a total loss rather right. than a mistake or a, you know, let's do another take or they're, they're really drafts of the life that we want to lead. And we're like, I learned something there, but I'm going to redraft that. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I'm thinking, tying it to the music, you've got an MM in classical piano performance and a PhD in music theory. And let me just say music theory blows my mind. <laughs> it's very difficult. It's very creative. And it's extraordinarily mathematic and precise and logical at the same time. Maybe I'm wrong around this, but it's one of those things that I think you have to get into and experiment and fail with before you really start understanding how it works. And why I say that is my son is a third year music comp major and his compositions from his first year to his second year to his third year, I see that evolution, but he couldn't have headspaced it. He couldn't have just studied music theory and all of a sudden composed better. He has to put something out there and work with it and massage it and then have it performed by somebody else. And there has to be that feedback loop and that understanding. And it's without that integration, you can't just get better. So true. So true. And you know, you're reminding me how much joy there actually is in this process, because most of the time we are actually creating, it's not about the end product. When we get to that end product, that's just a moment in time compared to the journey. The journey is like, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time we're actually walking on that journey. And yeah, we'll, we'll pass a milestone and say, how cool was that composition? <laughs> and then we carry on. And, you know, what a shame if we're not enjoying that journey, because that really is most of our life. And yeah. so we might as well enjoy this process. And the way that you're describing 
with your son going through his drafts and getting better and better. I mean, that can be a super joyous process, not a soul crushing process. And it sounds like, you know, he's using it to great effect because he is also getting better. Exactly. And he will still have his moments where he'll call home and be like, ah, and that's okay. And then he just moves on and, and it's such a great analogy for life. So thank you for tying that joy piece in. That's, that's very important. I'd like to take a few moments for a break so we can have a word from our sponsor. To all the women who have cried in the shower, smiled when they wanted to scream, and couldn't wait to get home and unhook their bra, Flaunt is the definitive guidebook on how to get back in touch with who you are underneath your labels, roles, and scripts. Fall in love with yourself right now. Breathe life into the dreams you left behind and live each day with uninhibited joy. Pick up a copy of Laura Cheadle's number one best-selling book, Flaunt. Drop your cover and reveal your smart, sexy, and spiritual self wherever books are sold. It's available in print, digital, and audio formats and comes with two downloadable meditations. We are back with Diana Rowan, and she is a creative alchemist, the founder of the Bright Way Guild, and an amazing author who has written the book, The Bright Way, Five Steps to Freeing the Creative Within. And if you've been listening to my show for a while, you know how passionate I am about freedom and creativity and sparkle and fun. And oh boy, is Diana all about sparkle and fun. So With that, we are going to take her through the five sparkly steps of flaunt so you can get to know her a little bit more as a lovely woman and as a bright, creative soul. Flaunt is an acronym and it stands for find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Finding your fetish is kind of what Diana has been talking about this whole time. It's finding that thing that allows you to tap back into yourself. It's finding your essence. It's becoming who you are. She uses going back to your childhood a lot, and so do I, because I define your fetish as that thing that you do for the sake of doing it. You do it not to get better at it, not to impress somebody, but just because it's fun. So Diana, music has been your fetish, I'm taking it, because it's, it's that thing that really connects you. But you also shared earlier that you had that stage fright. And it sounds like for quite some time, there was almost that teeter-totter of, this connects me, but I can't, but I want it, but I can't have it. And then you let it go and had to overcome that. I'd like you to talk a little bit more about the tension between your fetish, your purpose, that music, and that thing that was blocking your sparkle, that thing that was getting in the way, and really how you chose to overcome it? That's such a great question. So really what was blocking me was I was letting the externals rule me. I was letting what other people might think of me rule me. I was ultra concerned about their opinion. And so I would worry all the time about 
how are my piano exams going to go? How will this competition go? Will people think I'm the best and all this kind of stuff that, I mean, I'm actually not a very competitive person. So I had to, I didn't enjoy that. There are some people who do enjoy that vibe. You know, they have a sort of a competitive nature and, and they came in that way and, you know, more power to them, but that's not me. So I was trying to be something that I wasn't. All of, I was, entirely giving over my experience of music to other people or what I thought was other people. I mean, of course they had no idea what I was projecting upon them. It was totally my problem and not theirs, but you know, I, I was not having a direct experience anymore of music. I was really, uh, I had lost my connection. And so it was by living my life, through what I thought were other people's eyes. Um, that made me lose my entire connection to music. Wow, very well said, very well said. The next step of flaunt is L, and that stands for laugh out loud. And you had alluded to the joy of the process earlier. And I really believe if there is no joy, there's no point in doing it. And yes, hard work is hard. You know, I practiced law for 10 years. I had to take the bar exams. You have a PhD. It's hard. There's things in life that are just hard. Practicing is hard. (laughs) But there's also that element of joy. And again, it's always the tension that is so valuable in life and understanding the hard work and the, the joy and balancing that. What is the role of laughter in your life? And how do you cultivate that sense of laughter and joy in those difficult times to keep you going? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I I oftentimes say joy is the greatest motivator. So whatever you are doing, try and find something joyous about it because that will motivate you more than anything else. We can motivate ourselves through force and fear to some degree, but it always backfires. It always becomes toxic and it always ends up depleting us in one way or another. It's not very sustainable. So finding the joy in what we're doing, uh, sometimes that can, I mean, there's so many different ways, but we're thinking about laughing. Sometimes just taking a step back and just having a little bit of a laugh at yourself really can help you know like not taking yourself so seriously i mean i think you know we make a lot of videos for example right we do video trainings and so on just laughing at ourselves on camera sometimes will really help like you know bloopers we like say something and just enjoying that and and really not taking things so seriously uh that's a huge part and um so Laughing at ourselves, but in a loving way, I think is really good. Uh, Also takes the sting out of so-called mistakes and things like that. So we're just like, oh, no, that's actually fun and cute. I mean, sometimes I deliberately post crazy freeze frames of my videos inside uh, my membership program. I'm like, look at this one. And they love it because, you know, when you're the teacher, you can sometimes seem like just this authority figure. And to see you as a human, it really, it really helps people. Uh, mm-hmm. They feel so much more empowered and, and closer to you as well. Uh, so that's one thing. Another thing is my friends. I like to have a good laugh with my friends. So uh, friendship is a really big priority to me. Um, 
I think that friends are, and that could include your family. Um, I mean, hopefully it does, but I know for not everybody that's a situation, but hopefully it does. Um, as you mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm really interested in classics. And Epicurus, the Greek philosopher, he believed there were three things that were essential to the good life. And number one, the most important one was friendship. Yeah, and yeah. the second was freedom of thought. And the third was self-sufficiency to the degree that you are comfortable with. So being able to do things for yourself to the degree that you're comfortable. It's not like go out and start farming unless you want to, right. you know, but to the degree that you can be self-sufficient because you'll actually uh, feel more satisfaction in life. Uh, but number one was friendship. So yeah, having a laugh with my friends is really, really important. Oh, I love that. Now, you will totally appreciate this because you're a classics person. <laughs> my, my work is all around burlesque because burlesque is a parody. And I like to view life as a burlesque because it makes things <laughs> and then it makes it not serious. Yeah, and the goal at the end of the burlesque routine is that, you know, some of the costumes come off. As long as that goal is met, nobody really cares, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, and that's great. And my burlesque name is so um, Socrates after Socrates. Oh, and it I love it. <laughs> yeah. Chakras because I do yoga and the energy. Right. And because I'm it works out perfect. Oh, I love how you brought those together. All those things. <laughs> Socrates says, know thyself. And Socrates says, show thyself. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. that, that's that enjoyment piece. And I just shared that with you and you laughed and you get it. And that's that friendship connection. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and I know. <laughs> People say, I don't have time to cultivate friends. But sometimes just an example like that, you can share a story when you find out somebody understands or appreciates the ancient philosophers. Oh, let me tell you this story. It's funny. And there's that moment of connection and that elevates. Absolutely. Yes, yes. It doesn't have to look like, you know, three-hour wine sessions as, you know, like having wine. Um, yes. Although sometimes we wine. But, you know, <laughs> having, having wine for three hours, it doesn't have to be that much of a commitment if you don't have time for that you know, just a genuine connection can happen almost in an instant. Yes. Yes. And it can, and then you'll laugh about it all day. Oh, yeah, I, totally. I told this gal I was interviewing and she got it and it was so funny. Ha ha. It's, it's. Built <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so yeah. true. Which then goes to that next step. What I like to call the golden center of flaunt, AU, accept unconditionally. There's so much, and you were alluding to this earlier about I should be the best and what will other people think? And are they more competitive? And I don't know, then what will people think? It's so transforming to ourselves and to those around us when we can actually accept unconditionally the way things are instead of the way things we think things should be. And so much of the world is a mirror for us. And it's disturbing sometimes when we're seeing things come up time and again, and we think it's somebody else, it's somebody else, it's somebody else. And then you start realizing, oh, it's me. It's not somebody else. And oh, I don't want to deal with that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is there anything in your life that you'd like to share 
that was kind of that moment of accepting unconditionally where you all of a sudden had to get real, get raw and be like, okay, universe, I give up on this and hand it over and accept unconditionally. Yeah, I have a huge one, actually. Huge. And I talk about it in the book. So even when I was a tiny, tiny kid, I would be really, really afraid of death. And I would run into my parents' room at like four years old and cry because, you know, what's going to happen to me and what's going to happen to you and what's going to happen to everybody? And poor them, you know, they were in their early 20s. They were like, I don't know. No. <laughs> and actually how I came to realize all of this was, you know, that we would die, was when I was very small, I would tell them what I was going to do when I grew down. Because I thought you grow up and then you grow down and then you grow up and then you grow down, which I actually kind of think is true. I mean, I actually do think we have multiple lives, but, you know, back in Dublin in the 70s, Catholic Dublin, uh, that wasn't really a concept. But um, then one day my parents said, you know, you're not going to grow down. We're sorry, but you're not going to. And that's when I found out about death. And... As you mentioned, you know, my mom is an astrologer. My parents are very open about a lot of things. Um, I was very spiritually seeking for a long time. You know, I was in a coven. I was very into Wicca. I, you know, I still am. I find it, you know, wonderful practice. Yeah. Uh, other traditions as well, you know, I have uh, explored and appreciated and I have a, you know, a huge library of spiritual books and all those things. Um, but I was still like in the night, I would get this terrible terror, actually, this utter fear. And it would haunt me. It was like, what's going to happen when we die? Like, is it nothing? Is it oblivion? And every year I would play for the memorial service for the children in Oakland Children's Hospital of the children who had died of cancer. Oh, I yeah. And I would sit in front and face the parents. And I would play throughout this memorial. And the first time I went and I saw their faces, it was horrific. I mean, it was just seeing the worst thing you can imagine to people happen to them. And it was hundreds of them. And I went home and I felt terrible. And it just felt really really sad but i carried on and then i did it the next year and it was still pretty bad but i came home third time i came home and had a complete breakdown i just could not take it anymore and for three days i cried and i shook and i was like in bed the whole time i couldn't eat i couldn't drink i couldn't do anything my poor husband at the time who's an atheist he was like, I'm so sorry, you're going through this. I, I think there's nothing, I'm sorry, I, I can't help you. He was very sympathetic. Uh, but, you know, I kept trying to read my spiritual books and I was getting no relief. And finally, after struggling, struggling, you know, and sweating through God knows how many bedsheets, I had nothing left to fight with, actually. Nothing. And I completely gave in and I was like, I surrender. I believe that it is possible that there is nothing and that we die and that's it. And right at that moment, this flame inside me shot up and, and I stood upright in the bed, 
and I was like, <gasps> you know, I could feel my soul and my soul was just shining there. And in that split second, I was like, all this time you've been here, but because of my fear that you weren't and my gigantic clinging to that fear, I couldn't feel you. Yeah. And that was a massive opening for me that changed everything. Yeah. That's a beautiful story because that is exactly it. That fear yeah. pushes it away. It's so ironic to say the least. You know, I could not believe that. I thought I was doing everything right. I thought, you know, that I knew all these spiritual practices, that I knew all the philosophy, that I was doing all the right things, but I was doing the, all the right things out of fear. So I was spoiling all of it. Wow. Yeah. I bet your life shifted in so many subtle ways after that, as well as major ways. Huge. It was gigantic. Yeah. That's incredible. Thank you for being vulnerable and honest enough to share that. I think that will really resonate with a lot of people out there. Thank you. Thank you. And it makes me know that everybody has this flame inside them as well you know, and yeah. uh, I always remember that even, even when somebody's giving me trouble, for example, I'm like, inside them, they have the flame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. From that moment, from that moment of surrender, of accepting unconditionally, of honestly, for most of us, rock bottom, we have that realization that for me, it was my husband's infidelity, learning that he had been unfaithful for 15 years. And you think, and you're just like, you know, like that. Yeah. And you hit it. That next step of flaunt then is navigate. And it's navigate the negative. And you had mentioned this earlier, and I believe the same thing, that there's really no such thing as negative or positive. Things just are. But from that moment where you're laying in bed shaking, where, you know, I'm on the floor vomiting, where wherever our listeners are at right now, we all have hit that unconditional acceptance moment of surrender. And then the only choice forward is to figure out how to navigate it. And navigation can also be hard. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any wisdom that you can share around navigating, around surrendering, holding, understanding, taking all that you've been given, and then taking that first step forward and that next step forward? Yeah. There are two things that I think are super important in this. Uh, the first is community. Mm -hmm. I think we do need each other. And right now, you know, we're in the middle of this pandemic in uh, the world, of course, but particularly in the United States. And people are not able to be around each other the way they have been. And I think they're realizing how critical uh, community is to our entire lives. And I think community is not a nice to have. It's an essential thing. And it has to be supportive community. I think as humans, um, we may have been taught to be very independent. But the fact is, 
we are social creatures and I think we do need each other. And so when someone is very tender and they have just discovered, for instance, what you discovered, you know, or I had the revelation I had, we need support and we need support of the right people. So I think gathering your allies around you, and sometimes that may be having to reach out to new people. And I know that's difficult when we're in the midst of a realization and we're, we're very, very tender. Um, but if you do not have a supportive community, you need one. Yeah. You absolutely need one. It's, it's, it's crucial. And it's going to have to be people who absolutely believe in you, who listen to you, and they want to be there for you. Wow. Yeah. So that's the first part. The other part is, I think, having a system to tap into to support you, to give you guidelines. So for example, your flaunt system yes. or my right way system, you know, very many parallels between them. I'm so thrilled about that. I do think having a framework is really important because you don't want to reinvent the wheel. And by the way, when you've just had a big revelation like that, you oftentimes don't have number one, the energy to reinvent the wheel, but also the perspective. You're kind of, you know, in that, revelation mode you're not really in organization mode and so having a system is organization and at that moment you need that kind of framework you need that kind of structure so those are the two things i would say community and a structure a system to support you to walk you through this path i wholeheartedly agree and that brings me to my last step, which in a way is your first step. So I love the symmetry, the way that that's kind of wrapped around this show. The last step of flaunt is T, trust in your truth. And your first question, your first step poses that question. What is your truth? What is your purpose? And then my last one is trust in that truth. So I was hoping you could leave listeners with your truth. Who is Diana? What is that flame inside of you? And it can be words or music or anything, but what is your truth? So in my truth, in my purpose, it's to, to come back to my true self, which I know is a timeless essence, which is my soul, a soul that I know that each of us has. And when I come back to that, I know that I'm coming from my very best place and I trust from that place. So for instance, when I'm, and, and for the listeners, you know, I encourage, I encourage you to do the same. Uh, for instance, when I'm teaching, I sit in front of the student and I'm like, come back to your true self. I'm speaking to myself and then I open up and I take them in. And from what, from that place, I have many more insights about what they need than when I just look at them from sort of my head space or from my sort of external, my more and more ego self. Yeah. yeah. When I trust instead, if I've centered around my true self, I'm coming from that place, the quality of the interactions that I have, of the connections I have, of the insights I have are are so much greater and so that is all the you know fun and juicy stuff 
when I'm also in a bad place, I also say, I literally say to myself, come back to your true self. Like when I'm worried about something, like you mentioned, you are, you know, getting ready for a new course and everything. There's always a thousand things that are, that are you know, like, oh my God, I'm getting old. Wait, what do I do next? I'm like, come back to your true self. And it helps me navigate those difficult times as well. So I would say, yeah, for, for your listeners, uh, this trust piece, this purpose piece, keep coming back to it over and over again throughout the day. You'd be amazed at how it applies to pretty much everything you're doing. Yes. And amazed at how many times we walk away from our true selves. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Very Thank true. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That was absolutely brilliant, brilliant, bright. I was going to try to put those two words. <laughs> brilliant and bright. And that's what I love about the whole idea of the bright way. It is, it's bright, it's brilliant, it's sparkly, it's true. And that that's authentic to who you are. Listeners, I truly trust and affirm that you got exactly what you needed to get from this show, from Diana, from her gifts. I encourage you to check out her website, dianarowan.com, to check out her book. I will have all of the information in the show notes. And as usual, have an amazing, sparkly, brilliant week. And always remember to flaunt exactly who you are, because who you are is more than enough. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Build your dreams, live your sparkle with radio host Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Overcome the need to please and find the uninhibited joy of being exactly who you are right now. Come find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Find out more and get your free gift at lauracheadle.com. That's L-O-R-A-C-H-E-A-D-L-E.com.